0: Good morning. Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to praise you corporately with the body of Christ. We thank you that we live in a free country, that we can do that, Lord. We do pray for our country and ask that you would have mercy on us, Lord, that you would bless us for the sake of the remnant, Lord, and for your glory. We pray, Lord, for a revival within the church, Lord, and that that revival would spread to all outside of the church, Lord. We pray that the love of Christ would be known to all. We pray, Lord, that you would be high and lifted up in our lives, in this body, and in our country, Lord. Lord, as we get into your word this morning, I pray that the power of your word would transform us. I pray, Lord, that we would reclaim the uh, power and strength and truth of your word in our lives, I pray that your word would set us free, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you sit down, can you say hello to someone, please? All right, you may have a seat, please. Come on in. Alright, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke, please. And if you need a Bible, there are Bibles underneath the seats. You can grab one of those. While you're turning there, just want to uh, point out a few things going on within the church. This Wednesday, we are having service and we'll be... In Romans, if you want to read Romans 12, 13, and 14 ahead of our Wednesday night meeting, that would be great. Uh, our women's ministry retreat, there are sign-ups for that in the foyer, that's September 7th through 9th. And our men's retreat, there are sign-ups for that in the foyer, foyer as well, that's September 30th through October 1st. And... There are also signups for our one day vacation Bible school, and that's July 29th, which is a Saturday. So there's signups in the foyer for that. And then uh, the last thing is next Sunday, so a week from today, we're going to have a guest speaker, and it's Pastor Brian from Haiti. Um, if you don't know uh, our church, supports uh, Pastor Brian's ministry called Cross the Light in Haiti. And um, he will be in town and he's going to come and share what's going on there and share a message for us. And uh, in the past, uh, not so recent past, we had pointed out different things that have been going on with uh, within Haiti. And uh, most recently we got a, a, a report from Pastor Brian that they were, the people were rising up to take back the nation from the gangs. And so he'll give us an update of what's going on that, with that. And in the midst of that, uh, you may recall that the opportunity opened up for Pastor Brian and his group there to have uh, evangelistic outreach in the middle of uh, those cities and the chaotic things going on there. So he'll be able to give us an update. With that. So next week, Pastor Brian's going to be filling in. All right, if you have your Bibles, we are going to cover, Lord willing, the section of Scripture from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 49. And um, we also are planning to have communion at the end of service this morning. And so it's going to feel a little bit like Wednesday night. If you've never been on a Wednesday night, Wednesday nights we cover more ground uh, of Scripture. We're going to cover more ground this morning. A lot of it uh, is narrative, so, so we can capture these stories um, and kind of take it as a whole. So instead of uh, focusing on a very small section of Scripture this morning, we're going to take a, a bigger swipe at it and try to get the whole impression of what's going on. So what is going on in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 49? Well, Jesus, in what we're calling the Sermon on the Plain, which is, I believe, different than the Sermon on the Mount, but the teaching is very similar. And so as we're looking at this teaching, Jesus is telling us what it's like to follow Jesus, what it's like to live according to Jesus' plan and will, what it's like to live under the power of the Spirit in this world. So what does that look like? So last week we started looking at that and we looked at things that we should expect as as believers, as followers of Christ. And so now as we continue with that discussion, we're going to look at how Jesus proposes that Christians can change the world. We're going to look at how Jesus proposes that to the one who has been born again and is truly a believer in Christ, the difference that their life makes in this world. So what is that what exactly does that look like? What does that mean? Well, What happens is when one truly puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that they are new, they're brand new. John chapter 3 tells us and refers to it as being born again, meaning something radically changes to that person who truly puts their faith in Jesus Christ. They're a new creation, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 517, and he also tells us in Galatians 2.20, if we're in Christ, that everything's changed to such to where we no longer live for for ourselves, but now we're living for Christ. And so what happens is, the believer, they're born again, they're new inside, and as they're changed and transformed, they now have life in the Spirit. So, They become people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So, what does that mean? And why is that important? Well, that that makes all the difference. Having the power of the Holy Spirit inside of a person, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go, but it's going to be better that I go. Because I'm not going to leave you alone, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I'm going to give you a helper. So what he was referring to was something that happened in Acts chapter 1, a little later, verse 8, where the Holy Spirit came upon the church and the church was birthed there because of the Holy Spirit that came upon those people and then those people were able to do things that they were not, would not be able to do just normally and naturally. So Jesus here is stressing the importance of the Spirit-filled life, of living by the Spirit as believers. The importance of not living in the flesh, but living by the Spirit and the blessing and the opportunity that believers have of having the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's described as the abundant life. It's described as torrents of living water coming from the heart of that Person, That sounds pretty good, right? Yeah? Yeah. Amen. Amen. This This is amazing. This is not normal. This is something to be excited about. This is crazy. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And he says that torrents of living water will flow from you. And because of this now, The believer through that can make a difference. But here's something, as we approach this scripture, we have to get this. So what is it? And what happened to that individual believer that made such a big change? What was necessary? Was it because they tried really hard to be right with God? Was it because they did a lot of religious stuff and that religious stuff made them good with God? Certainly not, as Paul would say in the book of Romans. Certainly not. It's because we're forgiven. That's the difference. A a Christian, a believer, is one who has been forgiven. And why have they been forgiven? Forgiven, it's because they have come to a place of being poor in spirit, of, of being lowly, of recognizing that, it, that they're not good, of realizing that without God they can do nothing, and they come to God broken, and to a place where they say, Lord, I need you, I'm desperate for you, help me. Forgive me. Give me mercy, God. They don't come, Lord, I deserve it. Lord, you owe me. They don't come like that because those people do not receive Christ. They are self righteous. God came for those who need a physician, those who need help. And we all need help, it's just some are so prideful they don't recognize it. And so the condition that Jesus is explaining to us here is those people who are broken and they come to God and say, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner, help me. I messed up. I always mess up. I I can't do it. I can't get it right. And it's that broken person that he he comes to. And what does he do? He forgives them. And forgiven people should not be prideful people. Forgiven people should be thankful people should be dependent people. And it gets all messed up when Christians fail to realize that they're forgiven. And this is what Jesus is dealing with. So here's the three things that we're going to look at. Three things that makes the difference in the life of a believer and this world. Number one is love. Number two is fruit, spiritual fruit. And number Stability for those who are anxious and fearful and worried and stressed out. So, so those three things Jesus attacks. And it, it has to be understood that a forgiven person now is one that has the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for particular things to happen in and through their life in this world. So we better get into it or we're not going to finish. So verse 27. But I say to those who hear. So there's a qualification there, isn't there? So that means that there are some people who are not going to hear this. That means that it's possible some people sitting here today will have sound waves going into their ear, but they won't hear That means that there will be people that that hear through their ears. They hear what's being said, but yet their heart doesn't allow them to hear spiritually. So there's a qualification. So because of that qualification, we should be asking God that we would have a heart to hear. Even though we have ears to hear, more importantly, that we would have a heart to hear. A hearing heart. And what's required of that is humility. What's required of that is willingness to hear what God has to say to us. What's required in that is is that we desire, we want to hear. We're surrendered to God's Word, knowing that it's from Him and He has all authority and, and power. His Word is truth. So, to those who hear, He says, love your enemies. That word love is the Greek word agape, which means unconditionally love your enemies. So right off the bat, you may have heard and stopped hearing. You may have closed your heart now Because this is a teaching that is something that is difficult to hear. But not only difficult to hear, it's difficult to do. May I say, it's impossible to truly do unless it's God doing it through us. But let's back up for a second. He says, love your enemies. Now, do you remember I I said that in order for us to get what's being said here, we need to understand our own need for forgiveness. So let's start in how God has forgiven us. God, if we're a believer, we've been forgiven not because we're doing all the right things, not because we were special and talented, Not because we adhered to religious disciplines. He forgave us because we are actually enemies of Him. We are enemies of God. We're all enemies of God until we come to the place where as enemies we receive God's forgiveness. So that's what makes us a Christian. That's what makes us a believer that we are enemies of God. So there's no in-between part. We're enemies of God before we find that through Jesus we can have peace with Him or reconciliation with Him. So that's how we start off. So we start off as haters of God, as enemies of God. We start off the same as those who persecuted Jesus, who ripped Him out of the Garden of Eden, and, or not Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and began to persecute Him and scourge Him and um, crucify Him, nail Him to the cross. That's all of us. So that's the condition we are in when forgiveness was offered. We are enemies of God. So that's why he says... Now, as ones who have been forgiven on the basis of Christ's agape love towards us. So His unconditional love, what does that mean? That's why that word agape is used. Unconditional love means it's a unilateral, one-sided, He loves us regardless of what we do back to Him. That's different. That's different than A normal love, that's different than a human love. That's different than a a love that we have when we're born into this world. We love those who are nice to us and do good things to us, but those who are harsh and mean and bad to us, we don't love them. So now we've been changed. So we have the ability, because Christ is in us, because we have been forgiven as enemies of God, now He's given us the Holy Spirit who gives us the power and the ability to love our enemies. This is how we change the world. This is how the Roman Empire was changed. This this is how Jesus changed The whole world. He loved those who did not love him. So he goes on with that. He says to do good. So now there's there's actions. It's not just in your head, okay, I'll love those people who hate me. Now he says to do good to those who hate you. Do good to them. That means there is a requirement in order to do good to those who hate you. You have to have actual contact with someone who hates you. It's not just in your head. It's not a theory. It's, it's you're actually involving yourself personally with someone who hates you. And the answer is to, to do good to them. And again, let's let's remember the basis for that is because that's what Christ does for us. We weren't doing good to Him. And He loved us anyway. That doesn't mean that we dismiss truth. That doesn't mean we dismiss right and wrong. It means that we love someone despite the fact that they don't deserve it, or are wrong. And then he says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. So do we pray for those people in our life that are doing that to us? Are we praying and doing good, and blessing those who treat us in that way. It's hard, isn't it? It's not fun. But what we're going to see as Jesus unfolds this section of Scripture, is there's an amazing payoff to this. And the only way that we can do this is to first know, that this is how Jesus constantly treats us. This is how Jesus constantly acts on our behalf. He loves us with an agape love. He loves us despite who we are, despite what we do. He loves us because that's who He is. And some respond to it, some don't, but that doesn't change the fact that He loves us. And then he goes on in verse 29, he says, To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other to him also. And from him who takes away your cloak. So he's using imagery and things that would happen in the Roman Empire. And in Judaism, so if one in Judaism Judaism wanted to insult you, if, if uh, you were in the synagogue and, and they were worshiping and, and the, the priest didn't like you and felt you were an abomination, they would slap you. That would be an insult. A Roman soldier could say to you at any time if it's cold, hey, I, I want your jacket. And you'd say, what, what do you, why, I'm cold too, why do you think, you should get my jacket. And they hated the Romans because the Romans were controlling them, telling them what to do, how to do it, and why they can do it. And so a Roman soldier would come up and they'd say, give me your tunic. And they wouldn't say, hey, can I borrow your tunic? They'd say, give me your tunic and they'd rip it away. And you say, you can't have my tunic. Who do you think you are? But Jesus says to the believer, if you want to win that battle, if you want to correctly fight a spiritual battle of warfare, give it to them. And bless them. And have a smile on your face. Why? You can only do that because you know there's something greater going on there. You know that there's a bigger picture in play here. So in verse 30, he continues with that, and he says, give... To everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, don't ask for them back. And then in verse 31, it just kind of sums up this whole teaching. And just to to simplify, if you want to know the Christian ethic on how to treat other people, it's right here. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Likewise. It's a very simple way to think about how someone wants to be treated. Just think of how you like to be treated and treat them that way. And that's, that sounds great, but we know how hard it is. Especially if someone has hurt us, if someone is actively hurting us, is actively coming against us. But He's saying this Because to the one who's in Christ, that person has surrendered their personal rights to God. So now our life is his responsibility. Our reputation, the way people think of us, the way people view us. We've surrendered those things. And now we say, Lord, my life is yours. And because of that, we're free from other people's opinions, other people's attitudes towards us, other people's harmful um, characteristics or harmful ways that they treat us. We're free from that because we're not living for those things. Before we were born again, before we were saved, we were living for those things. Those things were important. But now it's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. Well, no wonder people don't like me. No, look at what they did to Him. No wonder. It makes sense now. And when I'm being treated like that for my faith, not because I'm a jerk and obnoxious or whatever, it's because I'm simply loving Jesus practically and following Him in my life. Well, if that's the case then blessed are those who are persecuted. It's a blessing when people treat you like that. And the the Bible says that, that now for the believer, we live in a different way for a different thing. We live to glorify God. So our surrender of our personal rights, that's what we saw Jesus do when he said, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. That's what it is. So now we're not prisoners to other people. We're living for a much greater purpose, and that's the will of God, and that the will of God would be done in and through our life. And if that means that we get treated horribly because of our faith, then praise the Lord, because we're not living for people to treat us great for our faith. We're living for God to be glorified through our faith. So he says in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even You might want to notice this term, for even sinners love those who love them. So what he's doing is distinguishing sinners... Who we all are, the Bible says we have all sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners. But then now there's a different category. And that other category is a forgiven sinner. So now he's distinguishing a forgiven sinner from unforgiven sinners. And he, he's saying... Well, even so, that's just a normal human thing. There's nothing supernatural. There's nothing powerful. There's nothing different about a person who loves those who love them. That's that's natural. That's normal to do that. You love me, I love you. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. It doesn't take any spiritual quality to do that. Even... People who don't have a Holy Spirit are generally like that. Then verse 33, he says, If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? Even, here's the word again, even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that? For even what? There's that word again. Sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. So, what he's saying is there has to be a stark difference in the believer's life that comes from a forgiven sinner who is understanding of the depth of their own depravity and their own need for God to forgive them. And how amazing it is that God forgave them. How undeserving they were. And and that means that, that we've changed to be like Christ. So the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, And there's a power there to do the things that He's called us to do. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do inside of us? He's going to work to make us like Christ. This is all the stuff Christ did to us personally. So He's saying now, you do that like I did that. You want to be like Christ? Do this. You say, I don't like that. I'll maybe do other stuff but I don't want to do that. Well, this this is like the bread and butter of Christianity. If you are a Christian forgiven of your sin, going to heaven, it's only because Christ forgave you when you did not deserve it. So who are we then to treat other people as they deserve to be treated? We're in no place to do that. And when we treat other people the way we think they deserve to be treated, now we're out of line and causing friction with the Holy Spirit working in our life. So it's so important we understand when we become a Christian, we surrender our will and we say, Lord, your will be done. And that will, in various degrees, mean that there will be people who treat you very badly. Many of those people will do that just because you are a Christian. And there's a way to handle that and we're learning that. And the way that we handle that can only be done by God working in us. This is an impossible thing to do. And it is the thing that demonstrates that God is actually in us. As he continues and he talks about this in verse 35. This idea continues and he he says, "But, but love your enemies, do good, lend, hope for nothing in return. How do you do that? Because you're trusting in God for everything. And here's the payoff. Your reward will be great. There it is. See, that's what we're living for. We're living... For God. And our life in God, you might want to look at it vertically. This is how it affects life horizontally. God pouring in His love to us, and us sharing that same love that He poured in us with other people. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love. This is love. This is God, godly love. This is agape, unilateral, God pours in, we pour out, doesn't matter what comes back. It's not a love that's conditional or responsive. It's a love that is unconditional and simply does it because God is pouring His love into us and we're pouring it out to other people. And this is what he says, changes the world. This is what changed the Apostle Paul, who's literally killing Christians. It is the love of God, mainly seen through Stephen, as Stephen was being persecuted for his faith. And Stephen would say as he's being stoned, don't charge this sin against them. Where did he get that? Where did Stephen get that? Jesus on the cross. Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's on the cross. Nail-pierced hands and feet, crown of thorns on his head, naked, people spitting on him. He says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's it. That's the game changer. Your reward will be great. And notice this term. He says, you will be sons of the Most High. Why does he say that? because, like the term, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, we're most like Jesus when we're acting according to what He just said, loving those who don't love us. We're most looking like Him. We're most sounding like Him. We're most carrying out His Actions and his attributes. So when, when we're doing this, we're aligning ourselves with our new nature, who we are now. Our new born-again disposition in Christ. But that's not all. It keeps going on. For he, look at that in verse 35, He, God, is kind to the unthankful and the evil. So he points again to him, to God as our example, verse 36. So then he says to be merciful. And notice the tagline, just as your father is also merciful. So that, that's how we do it. That's how we're following our father. That's how we're resembling the kingdom of heaven. That's how we're demonstrating that we're not of this world. This is the difference. Because that's the way God is. And God is in us reflecting that to the world. Verse 37 Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. In other words, don't put yourself in a superior position over people as one who says, I'm better than other people because I don't do the sin that you do. Again, recognizing that we're all sinners in one way, shape, or form, which gives us no ability to stand in a higher position over other people and say, I'm better than you. It does not mean... We don't distinguish between right and wrong. does not mean we don't look at the Bible to understand right and wrong. It just means we don't sit in a superior judgment seat like the Pharisees and say, how can all those terrible people do those terrible things? We say, I'm a terrible people who does terrible things, but I'm forgiven, and it's Him who changed me, so I don't want to do those terrible things anymore and i want you to know him because he loves you even though you hate him that's the attitude in verse 38 he says give so giving with this idea of the love that we give to other people in forgiveness and all the things that we've mentioned as we live our life like that look at what he says here's, here's another practical reward of all that Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So what does that mean? Well, in those days, you would go to market. Like if some of you like to go to farmer's market and farm to markets and those type of things. They have one right now in Parker Square. And you can buy people's corn or tomatoes or, I don't know, whole milk. Things like that. Drinkable yogurts and spicy pickles and carrots and things like that. People grow them at their house. But, so you would go along and say you wanted some, say, peanuts. So he, he's saying when we conduct ourselves under the power of the Holy Spirit towards other people, there, I believe this is saying there will be two things. There will be a practical aspect of that where people have a tendency to treat us better, disarming their hate and their anger because of our lack of response to that. So I believe that's one part. But I also believe there's a spiritual part to this where when we conduct ourselves loving and blessing those who hate us, then God fills us to overflowing with spiritual things. And He's using the analogy like if you went and got some peanuts in a, say, a, like a cone, paper cone, big paper cone, let's say popcorn, okay? So you know there's a lot of air between the popcorn. So if you shake it, have you ever gone home and your bag of chips is like half full and you're like, what's the deal with that? I paid for a whole bag not a half bag. It's like that. He's saying, fill it up, and then you shake it to take the air out and then press it down. And then they could put more on it. And that means it'll be filled to the full, but then as you go take it home, it'll actually be overflowing too. There's so much. There's no air. And so what will come out of that person is as they exercise their faith in the way they treat other people, they will be filled, so filled with the things of God, the things of God will spill out on other people. So other people will be picking up the popcorn and eating the popcorn. But these are the things, this is what happens when a believer exercises their faith in practical ways in the world they keep getting more. This is one of the secrets of the Spirit, which is not a secret, because He just told us it's not a secret. When you give the things of God out to people, He gives you more. So sometimes we think, man, I just it's so exhausting to treat people nice when they're mean to me. <laughs> it's so hard. But when we do it in the Spirit, what he's saying is we'll have a constant supply of agape love to give to people. It's only when we do it in the flesh that we get tired. But if it's a surrendered will to God and God living through us, we get continually filled filled up. And as we give out, we're not depleted, but he'll keep filling us up. And this is one of the ways to understand how God continually blesses us with a continual overflowing flow of the Holy Spirit. But see, if we're not giving out, we dry up. Because God's giving to us is meant to be more like living waters, like a stream, raging rapids, more so like that than it is to be a lake or like the Dead Sea, which is dying because it doesn't have a, a flow of living water into it. And that's how many of us become as Christians. We become dried up because we're not giving out. But the the secret is, as we give out, the more you give out, the more he puts in. So you want to experience the love of God more? How do you do that? You give it out more. And so you're enjoying it. And then it flows through you for other people to enjoy it. And, oh, you're getting more of it now. And when you have more of it, you want to share it. So do you see why Satan works so hard to get us to do things in the flesh and not in the spirit? And maybe some of you here, in some way, have been put off by Christianity. And if you have, it's probably not even Christianity that you've been put off by. It's somebody's flesh that you've been put off by, because if you taste of the living water of God, you won't be put off. You'll you'll never thirst again once you taste of the living water. So you don't look to man and say, oh, Christians are bogus because look at that person. You look to Jesus and then make your decision. Then do you have a problem with Him healing the blind? You have a problem with Him loving those who didn't deserve it, feeding the multitudes when they're hungry. You have a problem with that? You have a problem with God becoming a man so you, He can die on the cross for your sins and my sins? You have a problem with that? Well, that's a, that's at least have the right problem. But don't have a problem because I'm an idiot or somebody else is an idiot or someone else is not... Perfect or fulfilling God's command exactly the way it is, please, if you're not a believer, have grace on the believers too. Because we're just s- sinful, forgiven people. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need to be forgiven. But we're not. So have grace on us and look to Christ. And let us... Try to fulfill what is being said here, but understand it is Christ who is your answer and not man. So, in verse 39. By the way, we're not going to (laughs) finish. Just realizing that. So he spoke a parable to them. Verse 39. And say, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall in the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? So he's speaking speaking about this hypocritical, religious, self-righteous spirit that puts so many people off to Christianity and it's not even Christian. And it's the attitude where one would, as a forgiven person, would go around and try to find unforgiven Persons and point out the things that they're doing wrong in order to make themselves feel better and superior. That's why he says, Don't go around and you're looking at these tiny little things in somebody else's eye and you don't understand that you have a big old plank hanging out of your eye. If you have a plank, Hanging out of your eye. And that word is a word used for a main beam in a building. Imagine walking around with a main beam coming out of your eye, a a building beam. And you're walking around and you're looking at people who have a piece of lint on their eye. And you're saying, what's wrong with you? And that person's looking at them saying, are you kidding me? (laughs) Main beam out of your eye guy. What he's saying is there's an attitude of the forgiven. When we forget we're forgiven, we act like this. When we forget our need for forgiveness we can have a tendency to go around with these huge main beam building building beams and just point out little people's small little flaws. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't be like that. Verse 42, he said, How can you say to your brother, Hey, uh, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourselves don't see the plank that is in your own eye, hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so the whole point here is to understand... As human beings, I'll say this as delic- delicately as I can. We're messed up. Look at the person next to you and say, You're messed up. No, I was kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But that's the point. And when we ever forget our need, because we're so messed up, to be forgiven then we've entered into a realm of hypocrisy that looks more like the Pharisees than it does like Jesus. But when we understand our full need for forgiveness ourselves, how desperate we are As the publican cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all of us. And God, in his love and benevolence and mercy and charity, he says, Come to me, I'll forgive you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is the Jesus of the Bible that often is misconstrued in the public square. This is a Jesus that is hard to resist. This is a Jesus that loved sinners, His enemies, so much that He was willing to die on the cross for them and beg them to come and receive His offer of forgiveness. That's a God I'm proud of. That's a faith that I'm proud of. That I have joined the ranks of the forgiven people. And I want those who treat me and you horribly to know you can be forgiven too. Because you can't out bad or out sin the love of Christ. But you can reject it, yes. But you can't out-sin it. And so, so throughout our world, throughout the prison systems, throughout the what we would consider the worst places on earth, there are more forgiven people there who get it oftentimes than people who have it going on outside of prison. And so, a great segue into communion this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we truly thank you. And I pray, as the Apostle Paul prayed, that you would strengthen us in our inner person, that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And Lord, I do believe the world needs to know that you love them. One of our most popular, famous verses that almost everybody knows, for God so loved the world. If anybody is here, and because of your misunderstanding of the love of God, you have pushed Him away. I want to encourage you today. Jesus is here and wants to embrace you. If you're not a believer, if you've never been forgiven, turn to Him now, because when you do, you're turning to the love of God, the one who demonstrated His love for you by dying on the cross for your sins. Lord, as we take communion this morning, we just want to thank you and praise you, give you all the glory as forgiven people were brought to the table again to remember your forgiveness for us. May we rejoice in our forgiveness this morning. May we praise you and love you for forgiving us, Lord. And if anybody is here has here never received the forgiveness of their sins, I want to invite you now to do that and to receive fully and completely Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you can simply do that now by just crying out and saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Transform me. And make me a believer, a new believer in you. So we're just going to take the last few minutes here this morning and I want to encourage all of you to continue in a state of prayer. So just keep praying, talking to God, whatever that may mean or whatever that is to you if you need to pray for repentance, if you need to pray to receive Him as your Lord and Savior, if you need to pray for a particular situation in your life, if you need to pray, if you've been backslidden or walking away from the Lord, whatever, just deal with it. Deal with it now. Come to the table and and leave right with God. That's, that's the key. Deal with it now and and leave right with God. The ushers are going to come forward. They're going to pass out the elements. Hang on to the elements and we'll take it all together. And if if you're not a believer, if you're you're not born again this morning and you don't plan to be, if you just say, I'm not ready, I'm not going to do it, that's okay. Just let the communion pass you by. Nobody's going to judge you or peek or look at, you know... Who's not doing it or who is? That's not the point. The bigger point is pursue being right with God. But communion is for those who have said, you know what? Yes, I've received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And today I'm going to be obedient to him by remembering that I've done that. So let's be in prayer the ushers are going to pass out the elements. Hang on to it and we'll take it all together before we leave. We hold these elements, it's a reminder in so many different ways of how broken we are as people, and yet how whole Jesus is as God. And we all experience that brokenness every day, I'm sure. The struggle of relationships, the struggle, the pain of having a broken heart, of, of just trying to get through this world and just juxtapose all of that as these elements that we hold in our hand, that He was broken. The whole one was broken so we could be whole. So even though we have so many shortcomings and so many deficiencies and so many difficulties, just getting through one day correctly, Jesus did all of that for us. So now in Him we are whole. And that's where we experience that wholeness, that healing. So as we hold these elements, it's just a reminder that Jesus gave His perfect, whole body, sinless body, in place of ours. He demonstrated His love for us. And so for the one who has by faith received Jesus As their Lord and Savior, you have been made whole in Christ. And one day, you will fully realize your wholeness when you're face to face with Him. But in the meantime, your wholeness comes from Christ in its past tense. And as we hold these communion elements, it's a reminder that He he knows our weakness. He doesn't look for us to perform. He knows how weak we are, He knows our struggles. And that's why He's an ever present help in time of need. And we are whole in Christ because of the body in the blood of Christ. So let's remember that as we take communion this morning. Let's take of the bread together. And let's take of the cup together. Amen. Let's all stand and we're going to worship the Lord One last song before we leave. If anybody this morning would like prayer, as we sing this last song, just come up and there will be people to pray for you. If you want to pray about receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior or just anything, as we sing this last song, just come up. We'd love to pray with you. The rest of us, let's just worship the Lord like there's no tomorrow. God bless you guys.